0: Hi, I'm Bob Bashansky. Welcome to a special edition of Politics, A Love Story. On my last show, May 6th, I said that I was going on hiatus to take care of some things outside uh, of, of today. So I'm still on hiatus, but I'm here because I have a special guest. He is Ed Wilson, a Washington lawyer, now a partner in a national law firm. He served in the Reagan and Bush 41 administrations at the White House and the Treasury Department. His practice focuses on the movement and regulation of money and value. As a practical matter, this means he deals with political funding, anti-money laundering, foreign investments in the U.S., anti-corruption and cyber currencies. Like many of us, He has been following the January 6th events and their aftermath closely. He is also a member of former senior government officials focusing on financing the rebuilding of Ukraine after the end of Russia's invasion. For full disclosure's sake, Ed is also a first cousin of my wife, Meg Courtney, and we spent a terrific four days with Ed and his lovely wife, Lynn, in Booth Bay, Maine. Uh, It gives me great pleasure to introduce Ed Wilson to Politics, A Love Story. Hi, Ed.
1: Hi, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So um, why don't we jump right in talking about Ukraine and then pick up from our long list of interesting topics? Sure.
1: Ukraine. I I think the, the starting point are really starting points are two. One, what has Russia done with its attempt to annex and what does this mean with what Putin may do, which I think is a mystery to all of us. Uh, No one recognizes his annexation of these four, uh, these provinces and no one should. One of the the larger issues that comes to mind in the the groups I've been talking to and they're both formal and informal groups has been this, this idea of can Russia win the war kinetically but can it win the war by destroying Ukraine's economy through random shelling? And that is becoming a growing concern in the conversations to which I am a party. And understanding these, that that in these, I'm usually, I'm the lawyer and I'm listening to people who have been senior state and treasury department officials talking about how do we think about Ukraine as we come out of the war? how does it become a prosperous country? It is the breadbasket of Europe. If we go back to uh, Roman times, it was. it. Bulgaria were huge producers of grain stores for the Roman Empire, and it continues today. The hardship of what's going on out of Ukraine really hits the third world countries. Uh, Where does most of our sunflower oil come from? Ukraine. I could go on, but those are the,
0: the major themes of the kinetic war versus the economic war. So we have major, a major interest in keeping uh, Ukraine uh, alive and as a, its own country so that it can continue to produce uh, what's necessary for a good part of the world. Indeed,
1: we do. And it's, it's, uh, let me come back to one little vignette in this story that, that helped define some of the issues. Right when this started and people then looked to say, how does Ukraine get its grain and food stores out of uh, this war zone? People immediately focused on, well, we have to ship it to the Black Sea. And someone said, well, why? Why can't they just put it on railroad cars and take it to Europe? The problem there is the railroad gauge changes at the Ukraine border. Uh It's a wider gauge in Ukraine and Russia than it is in the West. now one of the stories I I do not know exactly why this is, but one of the stories was to keep the Germans from rolling from having their rolling stock come straight into into Russia. I don't know what the truth of that is, but it does mean that moving grain by rail is incredibly expensive because you have to change every car at the border. So it's impractical it's impractical and that's what allowed this blockade by the Russians to work and world pressure eventually got them to, to stop it. Uh, Ukraine is also a growing center, was a growing center for technology development. Uh, a lot of that has stopped because just the the uncertainty there's U.S. and Western uh, uh, investment has slowed down dramatically there's a a group at yale that's keeping score of of what countries what companies are working in ukraine or in russia urging those in russia to leave by naming them and the uh and urging people to go into ukraine but one of the things i learned when i was at the treasury is that capital is a coward it doesn't like to be in unsettled places so until we get some settle a more
0: settled atmosphere in, in Ukraine. We will not get the capital flows. Let me jump in with a question that has bothered me for a while. So uh, Russia is uh, an autocracy. There's no doubt about that. And Ukraine under Zelensky has been more or less a democracy. So here's the question: Is there more innovation in a democratic society than in an autocratic society?
1: I think there's no doubt there's much more innovation in in a democratic society. And and I I point to that in in Taiwan versus China Uh, and China, when it loosened its some of its holds, uh, we look at Israel. Israel is a just a a font of emerging technologies. Um, My own law firm does a lot of work, is one of the largest patent filers in the U.S. and a, a large Percentage is registering patents from Israel in the U.S. And, and by the way, in that regard, I might say that that under the U.S. economic sanctions against Russia, U.S. companies can still register and protect their intellectual property in Russia. That's one of the exceptions to the economic sanctions. Mm. Uh, but I, I'm a I'm a, a huge fan that that innovation follows the creativity that's required in democracies.
0: So, what is the short and long term outlook for Ukraine uh, as we talk right now?
1: I think the short term is, so much of this just depends on what Mr. Putin decides to do, and, and none of us know. Uh, the his, his track record for veracity is not high hmm. uh, in some regards. On the other hand, he did tell us he was going to invade Ukraine, and he did. Uh, this Despite the fact that right before he did, as I understand, there was a, a move by the U.S to, to find ways to say, we let's what do you need to lower the tension other than owning Ukraine? And none of those were acceptable. I don't want I can't be much more specific than that because I've heard several versions and I'm not sure which one is true. It's probably some combination. In the short run, we see chaos. But, I, but in the medium run, we're seeing a, the, the rest of the Western world look, having serious conversations with how do we recapitalize Ukraine? Uh, the head of Black, uh, I think it was BlackRock was in Ukraine not too long ago. Uh, the, the multilateral development banks are engaged. The uh, Undersecretary for Political Affairs, the State Department, uh, Victoria Newland, who's a very experienced diplomat, is, is engaged. Uh, there's a new deputy secretary, deputy advisor for the National Security Council, who is a former uh, financial type guy from uh, Wall Street, who's very well regarded. These folks can, can have a conversation that, that will lead to some resolution. You now, one of the things that, that my group has been talking about is what do you do with the Russian sovereign assets? It's a very, the US has laws that allows it to block assets. And that's what we've done. We've blocked all of Russia's assets, but we do, but there's a big difference between blocking the assets and not letting the Russians have them and taking title to them and using them as we see fit. Did we do that with Iran? We actually, we blocked the assets and then we agreed with Iran in at the Algiers Accords through the good offices of Algiers that we would put the assets into an account and Iran agreed to top up the account if necessary to use to pay off claims by people whose goods were taken or businesses destroyed during the revolution.
0: So how does that... Differ from what you're talking about today with Russia.
1: Well, I can't imagine Russia would agree. Ah. And, and let's let me give you another one that's also pertinent: is Iraq and Kuwait. At, we had a UN resolution that said Iraq needs to compensate Kuwait at the end of that war. We the Iraq and Kuwait sat down with the good offices of, of the United States, and Iraq's pay. Uh, The money Iraq was paid for its oil sales went into an account at the Federal Reserve Bank in New York and then was used to rebuild Kuwait. And I think that ended just a couple of years ago. It's been going on for a while.
0: I just want to say one more thing about Ukraine, and then we have so many topics uh, to go over. Uh, Isn't uh, the... The support for Ukraine starting to lag here in the United States.
1: I, I would say that's such a worry. As uh, Putin made this sound like it was going to be three days and raise the flag, we're now close to approaching day three hundred, and and the flags flags are still coming down. Oh, uh, it's. And and it's it's becoming more distant. We have other things on our own mind. We have the January sixth stuff. We have a, an election coming up. We have uh, what do we? How is the Federal Reserve doing with inflation? How are we as a country dealing with inflation? All those other issues. So I think you're right. It's very hard, and it but it's something I think we need to do because at the end of the day, having Ukraine as a prosperous country, a member of the EU, perhaps not in NATO, but a member of the European Union. Will raise the standard in Ukraine, hopefully reduce some of the, the problems of corruption that Ukraine is, is known for, and bring enlarge the sphere of, of, of liberal democracies that we promote as a country.
0: So let me use that. Uh, You're mentioning of the European Union as a segue into another topic that's not yet here in the United States, but might affect us somewhat. And that's the policies espoused by uh, the Chancellor of the Exchequer and the new Prime Minister in Great Britain uh, because they decided to uh, remove themselves from the European Union. Um, And now, uh, they're suffering all kinds of other things, and Liz Truss, the Prime Minister, has made this decision along with her Chancellor to cut taxes on the very wealthy and borrow the money to do that. I can't see how this is going to uh, maintain stability, economic stability in Great Britain.
1: It is a wonder how this is going to end well. Uh, I, I I don't pretend to be an economist, uh, but having lived through a number of of uh, cycles now in Washington since I've, I've been here for longer than I almost care to admit to <laughs> I do not see this as, as a as, as a way to do it it, it, it reminds me of of the, the folks in in Alabama once voted to lower the taxes on the rich while increasing the raising the level uh, below which uh, you could get a tax break in Alabama. So it, it hurt the lower income folks twice. It lowered revenue for the state. And it meant, meant that more people at a low income level were paying taxes. And it was sold as, as a job creation. That's an, it's an interesting theory, but it didn't work then. And it's not going to work here.
0: Well, you know that um, Paul Krugman calls that idea of reducing taxes on the most wealthy as a zombie idea. It's been discredited over and over and over again, and yet it still comes back to uh, be attempted to reduce the taxes on the wealthiest.
1: I I am, uh, you should know that I'm, uh, you can tell tell by my my bio that, so I I tend to be a, a lower tax person And but I do think that everybody needs to pay our fair share and we need to be part of of a community that understands why. So when I when I hear that oh, the solution is reducing taxes, I want to say so make the math case for me, but also make the policy case for it. The IRS, for example, always keeps a substantial percentage of its exams for the most wealthy and for the least wealthy so that it can say we we check everyone so as a fan of klugman i I love that line i think it's he's he's known for that one and some other ones, but he's also known for just being a clear writer on these things so uh, anyone who who wants wants a good view of what's going on in england that's a great column
0: i think that if uh, if people who owe taxes, paid them uh, without too much of a fuss. Uh, And now we have two aspects. One is tax avoidance and tax evasion. Avoidance is just trying to reduce the taxes that you actually owe. Tax evasion is hiding income so that uh, it can't be taxed. And there is too much of that going on. This uh, minimum world 15% tax on large corporations, some of the largest who pay no US tax, I think if people saw that change, if if the IRS actually does hire 87,000 more agents to uh, go over tax returns, I think then maybe at some point, reducing taxes on the most wealthy and all the way down might be more acceptable than they are right now.
1: I guess I, I'm going to say that I, I think we do. I do agree with you. There was tax evasion and uh, uh, and tax avoidance. I am. Uh, we've made a big step toward the hiding of money as a country by bringing the rest of the world into something called the foreign Account FATCA Foreign Tax Act, so that you you must report any account you have outside the U.S. and the bank holding it on behalf of a U.S. person must report that account. That has caused a fairly substantial inflow of tax dollars to the U.S. The But it, part of it is, is, and I, I don't understand how people kind of get to this point, but they think it's their obligation to find a way to not pay taxes. As Oliver Wendell Holmes said, taxes are the price we pay for a civilized society. And and I think we need to to get back to that. So anything I can do to push that along, I'm I'm here to do.
0: Okay, I wanna move on to uh, some current events, Uh, stuff in today's newspapers. Um, Judge Eileen Cannon, who uh, was overseeing the uh, FBI's removal of documents from Mar-a-Lago, Uh, acceded to Donald Trump's idea of a special master. And most everybody is thinking, first of all, she shouldn't have done that. She gave him deference as an ex-president and not allowed the current president to decide what is relevant and what is not. That's number one. Number two, uh, after uh, she was shot down by the Fifth Circuit, she's now come back and is giving more deference to Donald Trump uh, in the document review and allowing him to make these preposterous statements without backing it up with facts. And your person, as we've discussed before, who feels it is very important to have facts. So now uh, she's allowing Trump to delay again. This is just a delay.
1: Well, I, I wanna, Let's hit this two ways. Okay. First, on the delay point, I'm not surprised that there's been slippage in the process. Uh, I've kind of never been through one of these, and, and I, this is not my practice, but I've, I've been involved in several, and they all there's always some slippage. The, the interesting to me, though, are the reasons for the slippage. Part of it is that she has a she had an opportunity to offload this albatross of a case to her because she, pointed by Trump, uh, seen as an ally, seen as a friend, she offloaded. She had a chance to offload this albatross to a man who has, who's very well respected and has very good stature. Instead, she's meddling in what he's doing. Now she has a point. He may have gone a little bit beyond. His, his, uh, what she told him to do in the, uh, in that he has, he said, I want to divide these documents up and this is your chance to tell me if, if everything that went to, that, uh, was taken from Mar-a-Lago that's on that list that you've seen was in fact at Mar-a-Lago. And she said, no, you're too early on that. Uh, we'll see. The, her idea that that the he could not just exclude the the uh, uh, classified material uh, was just to me, and I think everybody else who read it, fairly ludicrous. I was part of a, a group years and years ago. Every let me back up. Every president pretty much writes his or her so far only his, but will be hers sometime uh, executive order on classification. I was part of the legal team that worked on one in President Reagan's first term. There is no way that someone can declassify by thinking about it, by holding that, the Johnny Carson envelope to your head. Uh, uh, it doesn't, it's a very process-heavy procedure. And, and what I think we would all hope it would be, because we're dealing with, with things that are sensitive to how our government runs and our national security. She then has taken an interesting position, though, with regard to executive privilege. These were issues when I was in the White House Counsel's Office staff we dealt with on a daily basis. The claim of executive privilege belongs to the current president, well-established by Supreme Court law. So I I find her, her statements on this to be sad. Unfortunate. I'm, I'm trying to think of polite ways to say it. The. And, and in that executive privilege, the judge, the special master, made a fascinating statement. He said, I want you to tell me which ones you think of these. President, former President Trump's lawyers means they the documents should not go outside of the executive branch. Because otherwise the Justice Department's part of the executive branch. Therefore, where's your claim? And, and that is that was one of the things Trump's folks objected to, and she has given them some time, some leeway, and I think that is unfortunate.
0: Uh, one of the things is that um, they talk about in public is that this is all wrong and there's nothing there, and yet in private, they won't swear that there is nothing there. Uh, so there's a dichotomy in the thought process and in their actions. And what Deary, that's Judge Deary, the special master, what he wanted to do is have things shown for what they are. And this is what Judge Cannon is shooting him down on. She's
1: allowing some obfuscation at the current time. And, and instead what she's done is push that to the back end by saying, I want this chart and I want every document on the chart, and you categorize the chart, uh, defendants, and then that's the government in this case, and then plaintiff, you get your shot, and then we'll work it all out. And so you can see kind of why she's doing saying, I I want to do this once and I want to make sure I have everything in one place. So it's it's facially not unreasonable. Well, but again, she's she's not she is. And this is what I don't understand. Why doesn't she just offload this to Deering, who's who has done this a lot more times than she has? She's been a judge for not very long. He was he was the United States Attorney, then he was a judge. So,
0: is it possible that this will go back to the Fifth Circuit?
1: The the Eleventh Circuit here. Eleventh Circuit.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, it used, yeah. to be, it used to be the Fifth, but they they divided the. Okay. So
0: you know, the Eleventh Circuit.
1: 11th circuit. Yes. I think this will, and what I'm, i the calculus going on right now at the justice department has got to be, do we, and do we proceed with her order while we appeal it? That way you don't have to delay. Do we ask for a stay and appeal a stay, which is not likely to be given by her because she can say, Oh, why would I want the delay? Hmm. Uh, So that calculus is is being made, as I'm sure as as we have this discussion. There are folks at Maine Justice, as you call. It's the the name for the main building on uh, in Washington, trying to figure out what's going to
0: happen. Okay, let's move on to something else. And uh, it's another interesting legal situation. Here we have the wife of a Supreme Court justice who testified before the January 6th committee and swore under oath that she believes that the election that put Joe Biden in the White House was illegal and she was working against it. I mean, there were so many ramifications from that. So com- complete, complete, complete the next, next statement, Bob. And she never discussed it with her husband. Yeah, nothing. These two are very close. They talk about everything they've both said in interviews before. And he's not recusing himself. I think I'm,
1: I wonder what the Chief Justice must be thinking today. This he because the Supreme Court is under. Let's look at this in two ways. Let's first start with her. I find it so disappointing. That someone with her experience in Washington, her stake in the constitutional system, can still on this day, yesterday, sit in front of the committee and say, the election was stolen. And then she tries to say, and by the way, all my texts to Mark Meadows were confidential until you leaked them the day my husband was in the hospital. I'm trying to decide where she's trying to go with that, but leave that alone. I, I'm I'm so discouraged that someone holds, it, it, and this comes back to one of the things you said in the introduction, facts. I, As you and I discussed, I clerked for a very conservative jurist when I got out of law school. But the one thing that ruled his life were facts. He would stop an oral argument and say, counsel that's a nice argument, but where's the facts? Tell me and he would make the person point to the record and to say to allow this lady to say it and then to say on what do you base it? Well, it just happened. Hmm. It's too bad but let's let's move on to the larger picture there which I think you're you're opening up, which is what do you do if you're the chief Justice of the United States? There are a whole realm of cases that are now called into question because I think almost given their the prior conversations that we've all heard of just how close the justice and his and his wife are. What should he do going forward? Is it really a court of eight for anything that has a political ramification? And and tell me. What comes to the Supreme Court that doesn't have a political ramification?
0: So, could he, by himself, change the rules about recusal amongst the justices of the Supreme Court, or does that go through Congress as uh, executive order? I mean, how does all of this work?
1: The judges, there's a, a statute on on uh, judicial conduct, but they're also the Supreme Court it oversees the judiciary. In fact, we have a, a large organization that trains judges, uh, teaches them all kinds of things. One of your distant cousins by marriage, uh, it runs the courses for new judges, <laughs> uh, and she's does a wonderful job. But she'd be a good person to have you talk about this particular issue because she knows these things absolutely cold. The 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 Supreme Court puts out the standards for recusal and enforces, helps to enforce them in addition to the statutes. Uh, As we used to say on the executive branch side, you've got the law and then you have what you need to do to preserve confidence in the operations of our government. Oh, I had the privilege of working for Jim Baker for years, and his point of view was anything you do that reduces confidence in our government is a firing offense. It got our attention.
0: You can't fire a justice of the Supreme Court. Unfortunately, the only way is through impeachment, and that's not going to happen. Right.
1: That's not going to happen. So it's so John Roberts is going to have to have some some discussions with his I suspect with with uh Justice Thomas and some other people to say what does this mean going forward because he's the Supreme Court is under attack and he needs and, and we we need to trust it as a country
0: let me take this moment to reintroduce you you're listening to politics a love story special edition I'm your host Bob washansky and my guest today is Ed Wilson former uh, official in a couple of uh presidential administrations who knows how the government works pretty well yes he doesn't have uh knowledge about every single thing but he knows a hell of a lot i gotta tell you uh, so in any event what i want to talk about next is uh you talked about uh the practice that uh, you specialize in uh anti-money laundering uh money for elections. And one of the things that I've been worrying about for a while is it seems uh, there is a law on the books and I think it's a pretty tough law that prevents foreign governments from putting money into our elections. And yet that seems to be happening. And part of that is because of Citizens United and dark money and whatever. So could you talk a bit about this?
1: Well, we, we have a fairly substantial practice in, in uh, campaign finance and the, the lawyers who operate in that world. And I'm, I'm part of it. My focus of it tends to be more the the foreign uh, folks trying to be involved in U.S. policy making. is we have a checklist. And, and the the bright line is no foreign money. No non U.S. persons. Uh, Citizens United is, is, of course, allows, treats companies as people so they can make contributions. And, and that has been, uh, turned our world topsy-turvy. Uh, the small donor from individuals has, has also grown, I think, in part as a result of this. It's a fascinating uh, counterpoint to the problems of, of Citizens United. But I would love it if we could find a, a way in our society to level the money playing field. Uh, because it, it is as, I, as you and I discussed, I'm reading a book on prohibition called Last Call, which is a fascinating book. I'm three pages away from the end, I'll tell you. <laughs> Didn't quite finish it last night, but I was <laughs> trying. Their, uh, the amount of money spent by very wealthy people to tilt the table then then as now is something that i I find um, as as much as I I do have a libertarian streak I find that to be it, it's not it's unsettling in our democracy uh, so we, we've got to find a way to, to both police what happens if we're gonna if this is going to be the law then we have to police it Uh, And a lot of that in my world comes through the electronic side. Uh, And that requires some of our largest providers of electronic social media to get a lot better or for us to find ways to help enforce that with them. Uh, We have gotten much better, I'll digress for a minute, as a country in the last two or three years of uh, public-private cooperation on cybersecurity and getting bad people out of the system. But gosh, these crooks are creative. So I'm not sure that you know, we're, it's going to be an ongoing problem and it'll be interesting to see what happens this coming election. And it would be nice if at this coming election, we didn't have the the falsehoods about our election system that tainted the last one.
0: That's not going to happen. You know that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, in fact, If we go back to the election of uh, 1800, that was uh, John Adams against uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson.
1: You're hitting me where it
0: hurts. I went to his university. I know, I know, but you also know this story. Uh, Jefferson had some friendly people who wrote for newspapers and he asked them to put in this scurrilous information about John Adams fathering black children outside of wedlock. And some of the people who were going to vote decided not to vote for him, and Thomas Jefferson won that election. So we're talking about 222 years ago. There was bad information, fake news coming out. I can't imagine that in 222 years, if we couldn't get rid of that, that we're going to get rid of it for this election. Oh no, we're not. But but
1: I that you know I I, I agree with you. We're not going to get rid of it, but we can. Use our utmost to keep foreign people, at least who are trying to influence our election, and that is most certainly the Russians and the Chinese. That we can do our utmost to keep them out, and to keep their surrogates out.
0: Well, I would hope that you have more information than we, the uh, the average public, have about how this might be done. And I realize if you do have that information, you can't tell us about it, but. <laughs> Uh, It's certainly worrisome that this is hard to track down and to eradicate. Um, We'll just have to see what happens because there were already people planning uh, if they become uh, the the head of elections in those particular states where they're running, uh, who knows what they might do and and tilt an honest election to the wrong people.
1: Is't it discouraging to to see people who have served honorably as nonpartisan people in elections to be so vilified this last time it, it really it, it, it's it's very uh, it, it makes me quite angry yes. uh, to, to see some of these folks who have been away without any factual basis have been called all sorts of names. We need we need to gain that sense of integrity. There's a, a certain Secretary of State in in Georgia that I'm I'm a huge fan of because he stood up to he spoke truth to power.
0: Rapsenberger?
1: Yes, and I think we need to to in, to honor him and encourage others to do the same. What
0: about Arizona? That was uh, Rusty Bowers, I believe. Yes,
1: and and he lost his reelection, which yeah, which and really, this right. is
0: what's happening uh, because of the bad information or the marshaling of enough votes to get rid of the good people and bring up the bad people. Although I think in Trump's case, some of those candidates that he got to run against, the democratic candidates are so bad uh, that I'm not sure that they're gonna come close to winning. But uh, you know, here's my theory about polling. I disagree with any poll I don't believe. <laughs> Bob, that's a fabulous statement. Uh, and
1: knowing you, that's, that to me is a combination of your innate skepticism and your desire to, to say, "What's this? let's look behind the poll. How'd they get there? What's the question? It's one things I've enjoyed about our conversations.
0: The only one poll I believe is the poll this year on November 8th, I believe it is. Yeah. Uh, that's the election. Yeah, that's the yeah. poll we should all believe, but I think there'll be some skeptics for that as well.
1: well. Can can we go back on that one and say there will be some skeptics? But let's look at uh, Bush Gore. You know, Al Gore yeah. at the end of the day said it's over. Richard Nixon said it's over, even though Illinois was a big problem. Uh, we've had people do the right thing. This yeah. time, we had somebody who instead said, let's change the election. Uh, and I think that's today, one of the interesting things is what a trial that starts today is the head of the Oath Keepers. Right Trial starts and it'll be interesting right. to see. It's scheduled for about five weeks, I think. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it comes out. Um, it's You should know that the This is watching the judicial system in Washington right now. It's kind of like watching a a snake that swallowed a very large animal (laughs) because all the other cases are somewhere in the clouds. Uh, I I have several cases that have just... I haven't heard about anything about them now for months because all the people in the government who were working on those cases are now living January six cases.
0: There's something that's coming up to the Supreme Court this next term, I believe, and it's something that to me is very worris- worrisome. Uh, there are some states uh, that are, uh, in, it's Republicans who are running those states and what they're suggesting is that the Electoral College doesn't have the final say, but the state legislatures that have the final say? Uh, do you know about this particular case? Just enough to be dangerous on this one.
1: The and what I where I can't get to where the state legislatures are going, and, and I haven't, I'll admit, I haven't studied it enough. Is the state legislatures or these states that are pushing are saying the legislature not the not the uh, uh college controls is are saying that my vote doesn't count and i have a lot of trouble with that uh, I'm, i am a, someone who gets angry when someone says my why vote my one vote can't count we've we've seen you and i have both lived long enough to see that proven wrong multiple times.
0: Yes, we have.
1: Uh, So I'm I'm against anything that says my vote doesn't count. And saying that the legislature can override my vote is just as pernicious to me as any other theory that says someone
0: else can control. A few years ago, uh, there was a referendum. I think it was in Arizona. They wanted to have uh, an impartial commission decide uh, redistricting. And the legislature went to court against them and said, we're the people's representatives. We get to decide that. And the judge in that case, I don't remember his name, but I should. He said, the people are the people. <laughs> <laughs> you are only a representative, but the people are the people.
1: No. Yeah but you, you are raising an, an issue that, that is one that does bedevil us and that's redistricting. Mm. Um, back in, in 1920, the, the Congress withheld redistricting uh, in order to get uh, some laws through because it would change the representation toward the municipalities, toward the big cities. Uh, the, so that, that is a, a fight we always have and it's a fight that, that dates right back to one of the problems the last administration was how they ran the census. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean that's another thing where we, we need to have confidence in our taxes and our census. And in facts.
0: Well, it seems to me that there was an attempt to disrupt everything so that uh, nobody knew what which way was up or down. Um, so. Uh, where was i going i just had something i wanted to bring up and uh, hmm. i'll i'll
1: come back with you on that for a second cuz it's one something that comes comes up in my mind is how do we take the the folks who are who believe something so fundamentally different like miss thomas how do we get get a conversation that affects that moves us forward, rather than having, as several as several Republicans I in the Congress have said, they want to be the party of no. Well, the party of no, and this is this goes back to my, you know, I, I had the privilege of serving in the in the in a couple of administrations, is the first person, one of the first people Ronald Reagan and his wife had to dinner at the at the White House were Tip O'Neill. Democratic Speaker of the House and his wife, uh, because he knew he had to have conversations in order to get good things done for our country. And to have the one party say it's the party of no, which leads them to, that also means no facts. How do we bring that back? And that is to me, one of the central issues of our time. How do we have the conversations and get a Jenny Thomas to say, give her a way out and a way home to the Constitution.
0: The only problem with that is um, I look at the next two elections and what I worry about is the fact that it's not Republican against Democrat, it's autocracy against democracy. Uh, Because those people who are, this is your former party, I realize that you say you are not currently a Republican, but there are people who are running the Republican Party today, who don't believe in democracy, they would rather have them in charge of everything and tell all of the rest of us what to do. That's not democracy, that's autocracy.
1: Uh, I, I, I agree with you, and you and I have had long conversations about this. It is, to me, the we need to have, uh, and I, this is kind of the idea of where does the Republican Party go and my gosh, I've discussed this with a lot of the people with whom I served because most of them are in the same boat I am. They are trying to figure out what do we do? How do we, how do we influence the needle in, in a how do we make sure that the discussions concerning helping our country include all the different ways to do it so that we can argue them out and come up with something that comes at least approximates a good solution? If, if one group is simply saying, no, we have to change the way government operates to an autocracy, then we aren't having any conversation and we're leaving the conversation entirely to one group to how to do, and, and I think that's not wise. I, I think it limits our
0: conversation. It limits how we come out. Um, and if you use physical power in order to get control That is also not correct. Uh, I know that there have been many references to 1932 or 1933 uh, Germany. Uh, And I would say that the the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, all these right-wing groups look more like brown shirts to me than they do uh, people that are interested in furthering the democracy. I have to tell you, one of the most
1: chilling sights to me on January 6th was the group of the stack group Hmm. of people walking up into the Capitol that froze my blood. This was the United States Capitol. It is what we managed to avoid having destroyed on 9-11. We don't know that the plane that went down in Pennsylvania was headed there, but personally, I, my sense is why would it not be if you're trying to, Ruin our symbols of democracy. That's where you go, and that's where the where the the folks went on January 6th. And it, it's it is completely unacceptable. And I, I find people who say, "Oh well, it's it's like people who deny 9/11." I I can't it it kind of my I can't compute it in my head because it denies all the things that we as a country need to move forward on. No matter how much I disagree with someone. That's a policy matter. Uh, uh, what is it? I'll defend to the death your right to say it. I want it you to care, wasn't it? Well, it was also
0: Franklin. Ah, OK. I or think Franklin or uh, uh, one of our founding fathers. OK. And w- what's interesting is that Meg and I spent two weeks in Washington, D.C. Uh, and because of your graciousness. uh, We used as our base of operations your house in Arlington. And we went in and saw many of the buildings and the museums that are there. And one thing is we had a tour of the Capitol building. And I was taken with, we were in the rotunda where a lot of that stuff was going on. We were right outside Nancy Pelosi's office where things were going on. And it didn't look anything like what we saw on the films because whatever had to be repaired was repaired. Uh, but it was it was thought provoking that 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 our democracy was so threatened by a few people, and I'm hoping that we can get through the next two elections and still retain our democracy.
1: Bob, I want to say first of all. I am so glad you had a chance to do that because I, I, anyone who walks through those halls and doesn't feel the weight of it as a citizen, I, I think needs to rethink the civics lesson they may never have had. Hmm. Uh, and it's, it's, there was a guy I worked with years and years ago. His name was Lynn Dofziger. He was worked for, for President Reagan. And, and frankly, we were all pretty scared of him because he was really tough guy. And and one day we walked into the to the uh, to the West Wing, in the West exec, and it was late. It was snowing, and he stopped, and we looked at, over at the White House, and and he said, "Promise me, if there ever comes a day when you walk in here and don't feel the weight of responsibility to every citizen of our country, you'll resign." And I thought, "Wow, Lynn Nofziger." extreme political operative on the Republican side saying we are here for everyone in the United States. I thought it was a fascinating statement. And it's one that that I try to remember and to pass on that once the election's over, you may not believe it,
0: but we're all pulling together. So because you have some expertise, uh, having worked for the Treasury Department uh, in the economy and money and other things. I I just wanna ask, and we don't have too many more minutes left, but I think this is an important thing to have a little bit of a conversation about. Uh, Student loan forgiveness has been criticized by some as an unnecessary gift. People should pay back what they borrow. But some of those same people took advantage of bankruptcy laws to cancel their debt. Student loans are not canceled in personal bankruptcy. Was the forgiveness of the student loans a good thing or a bad thing? Uh,
1: well, basically, I'm going to come out and say it was a good thing. I, I've got a couple of caveats. There are some people who gain the system. Uh, always. And and I and I think we, we need to find better ways of catching those. And it's not just that system. It's the people who gain Medicare, or Medicaid, the PPP loans. Uh, they infuriate me we're trying to help our country here and and you're taking advantage of it by stealing. Uh, Very little sympathy for them. First of all, we're not forgiving all the student loans. We're forgiving a pretty small portion of them. Now look, as someone who was a recipient of student loans, it was the first debt I paid. Uh, But if we can get people through the system so they, they get a good education, they become productive members of our society, it's the fact that they're going to be paying more in taxes than paying the student loans. I'm all for it. But I do think we ought to go after people who game the system. So I, I think the people who say, you know, I'm I'm paying your student loan off, that's not true. It's, you know, it's an infinitesimal amount. And I wish people would, would use this, take a more measured approach about it. And put themselves in those shoes and let's look when my father came to washington at age 90 or so and saw the world war ii memorial my father had been through two wars and he said i said what do you think dad and he said waste of money i said really why and he said the best memorial to world war ii was the gi bill and he said and that's where we ought to be putting the money for this is getting people trained for solid trades, college, whatever they want to do, but give them the path to do it. And I thought coming from my conservative father, pretty neat thing to hear.
0: Well, I I met your father, and I don't think he was all that conservative. Yes, he did have Fox News on all the time, but he, he could also have a discussion with you about other things, and he didn't seem to take... Um, an intransigent view of things. Uh, We have just a few minutes left and I want to get to this. So I've mentioned before on air and I think I've mentioned to you, Ed, but I want to say it again. I helped elect four Republican presidents going back to Nixon in 68, Reagan twice and George H.W. Bush uh, once. What I'm worried about is this country needs two strong political parties so that there is innovation in ideas that we could move forward. Uh, So what I wonder is uh, it, it looks like the Republican Party is going down the tubes. What can we do to strengthen it into a democratic institution rather than, it seems that they're headed into as we said before, autocracy. What do you think, Ed? you got got two, two and a half minutes to come up with
1: it. The first thing I'm going to say is, is we do things like this. We have this conversation so that people know that a lot of us who have been, who have supported the Republicans, my first work as a Republican was hanging, putting on door hangers for Barry Goldwater as a, as a youngster, uh, that, that we say this is not acceptable. We have a, a higher obligation and those of you who have it, join us. I'm not sure where that will go, but we need to be out there saying it. So I'm. It's one reason why, when you said would I do this, I said yes, because part of it was I wanted to be at this stage. Second thing is we need people like Michael Steele, former chairman, who's a, a good speaker. Is you know, where is he going? Uh, what is what are we? We need to. It's going to take some time, but I also think part of this is going to be what happens to Donald Trump. If Donald, if, if, and I think it will, some of these uh, judicial proceedings result in his being held liable, convicted, whatever, uh, I think we're on the other side of that hill finally. And we,
0: but I think both parties need to be better at, at bringing up the next generation. So you're an attorney and you have to weigh facts, as you pointed out. Uh, from what you're seeing, he's been attacked from many sides. And I guess maybe attack is too harsh a word, because what he did was even worse. But so he's besieged uh, by Georgia, by the state of New York, by Manhattan, uh, by Georgia. Uh, Does it look like to you, there is evidence that might put him in uh, an orange jumpsuit that will match his complexion and hair?
1: (laughs) I'm not sure that he will ever be sent to jail, but convicted, yes. Why wouldn't he be sent to jail if he's convicted? I'm not sure that at the end of the day, we want to see a former president in jail. I'm, I'm not I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a jurist, and I'm not sure where I would end up on that one.
0: Okay, so. Uh, We're going to have to wrap now. You have been listening to a special edition of Politics, A Love Story. My guest has been Ed Wilson, uh, a former uh, governmental uh, attorney uh, who has done a lot of good things in his lifetime.